0: The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today from the pulpit to the pew. You know, as we, uh, as we begin this evening, I want us to think about this. I entitled it, Will the Real Jesus Set Forward? And I started talking to my, um I'd been thinking about this whole aspect of how that uh, how often the Jesus uh, the Jesus that people quote or the Jesus that people talk about is not always the Jesus of the Bible. It's the Jesus that they want or the Jesus they not not that they need, but the Jesus that they use in their situations. And and so today. This evening, as we walk through Matthew chapter 11, I'm going to read this to us tonight. I'm going to read the whole, and then we'll break it down. But as we break this down, I want us to keep asking this this question. Will the real Jesus step forward? Now, this is not a situation where I'm saying that Jesus is hiding himself, or that, that God hides himself at any point in time. We're not talking about that. But will the real Jesus step forward? Because the reality is, if when we go to talk about Christians and the Christian life, what we need to be portraying, and what we need to be revealing, and we need to be praying that would be revealed or illuminated before men, would be the Jesus of the Bible, the real Jesus, and not some other, some other form or some other shape or some other idea. And so I want to read this to you. And there's a, there's a lot. There's not a lot here. But it's important for us to read this and to understand what we're talking about as we do this. Now, I have quite a bit of notes, but that doesn't mean anything. It's a lot more scripture than it is anything else in tying some of these things in. So um, I'm going to read straight from uh, Matthew 11. And in in the words of my my friend, and I understand why he does it, but I come to this place. These are God's words. This is the word of God. So let's read Matthew chapter 11 together. It says, when Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, "You Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, And the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses." What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he whom it was written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. And the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? He's talking to the ones in front of him. then he began to denounce the cities where the most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent woe to you Chorazin woe to you Bethsaida for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon they they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes but I tell you it's more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you and you Capernaum will be exalted to heaven will you be exalted to heaven You will bring down to Hades. I'm sorry. You'll be brought down to Hades, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, y'all remember what happened to Sodom? It was destroyed by fire, right? By, by, fire from the sky, by God. If the mighty works in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day but I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows... uh, knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses, reveal Him. Come to Me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you, and learn from Me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for My yoke is easy, and My burden is light. Now, as we start this, I want I want to say something very clearly. There's a lot here that I will not get to cover tonight. Okay? There's a lot more that we can talk about. We might even talk about it in the future. But tonight I'm gonna to try to direct this path very clearly. Y'all know it's not here on the screen, but it's gonna be easy for you to fill in certain blanks tonight. Okay? There's a there's a Bible verse. The Bible verse is John fourteen six. And Jesus said what? It's not here on the screen. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, right? I want to use that as a model tonight as we walk through this passage of Scripture, okay? I want to use it as a a kind of a guideline, okay, for what we're going to walk through. So when you look at number one here, Jesus is the only... Way, Okay, let's look at that first. When we talk about the Jesus of the Bible, when we talk about the Jesus, the Jesus we need to step forward, we need to start in this aspect. Jesus is the only way. But on, under letter A, consist, Jesus consistently fulfills prophecy and reveals his character. Now, one of the reasons why I'm not going to go... I'm not gonna go verse by verse tonight. I'm not gonna go into some of these things because we have actually talked about a lot of this as we have built up to this moment. But as we look into our theme passage, he sends out, he instructs his twelve disciples, he sends them out. Remember, he just told them, you know, you're gonna be I'm gonna send you out like sheep among wolves, all this kind of thing. He sends them out. And then John comes, John's disciples come to him and ask you know, if he's the one, if he is the one, or if if there's another to come, and he said, look, people are healed, the lame walk, the blind see, the good news is preached to the poor, so on and so forth, right? Jesus consistently fulfills prophecy, and he went on there, he also teaches, his character. Now, when I talk about this, I want us to look at a little bit of scripture tonight. Okay? If y'all look at me, look, at, I mean, I'm gonna have it all on the screen so we're not looking. But Psalm 103, verses 1 through 19, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. Will he keep his anger forever? He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward us, toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions for us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. As for man... His days are like grass; he flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over, and it's gone. And its placed in uh, its place, knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. He talks about this one who takes away our iniquities. He he comes in here. He talks about healing their diseases. He talks about he talks about all these aspects. But in Psalm, it starts there, 1 of the 3. Then it goes in Isaiah, think about Isaiah 53, 1 through 6. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, grew up before, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. This is a prophecy toward the Lord who is to come. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces when he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement of that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. This is Isaiah. This is before Christ comes, right? This is this is hundreds of years prior to the coming of Christ. And this is being written about the Lord, about the one who would come. In 1 Peter 2, listen how this is... Now here's a record of Christ coming. Verses 21-24. through 24, for, to, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps he committed no sin neither was deceit found in his mouth when he was reviled he did not revile in return when he suffered he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness now listen very what's that last statement By his wounds, we are healed. Jesus is the only way because he is the only sinless and perfect sacrifice for sin. When we talk about Jesus, Jesus is the one who fulfills the prophecy. Jesus is the Lord and Savior. But there's something we also need to see here. John B, letter B, John was the forerunner to Jesus. Not, But not the way to the Father. John was the forerunner to Jesus. He came before Jesus. And it mu- he must come before Jesus. In fact, when we, when we look at this, he's the one who is to prepare the way for the Lord, right? Go ahead and just put it up there. We're going to go. Well, where do we find that, that very clearly? It says, it goes, I believe it's highlighted there. But it says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. But it didn't just happen. Where does it happen? It happens in Isaiah, but also it happens in the book of Malachi. 3, 1-4, it says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, said the Lord of hosts. He's coming. But there's going to be one that would usher in the coming of the Lord. We find in John chapter 1. John chapter 1 it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Then listen here. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light. John was not the light. But he came to bear witness about the light. So, when we think about this aspect, when we hear this, John... Prepared the way of the Lord. He was called. He was sent to prepare the way of the Lord. Now John was a relative of Jesus' mother, right? Y'all remember Elizabeth? Y'all remember this? I was listening through some uh, some sermons of some sermons of some others, and one of the things to remind is John. John was a very particular. There's something about him beyond his dress. Now. Uh, someone highlighted that often prophets seem to be some of the weirdest people in the world in the Bible. They did all kinds of weird things. They, John being wasn't dressed like just anything else but here's the thing about John. John's father, his name was does anybody know who John's dad was? Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest. Okay? So here's the thing. If Zechariah was a priest, what does that tell us about about John? John would have been raised around the what? The priesthood. Correct? And so he would know the law of God. He would know these things. He would be well-versed. And, and so when, when people come to him, especially when you see the Pharisees and Sadducees who were priests or the teachers of the law, correct? They're coming to him coming to him to be baptized. If you'll remember back, we'll, we'll look at that in just a second. But I want you to think about this. John was not your typical priest. John was not walking around in beautiful robes, was he? He was not preparing the way of the Lord like a priest normally would have. What was John? He was walking around in clothes made from camel's hair. And what did he eat? Y'all remember? We're going to see that in a second. He ate what? Locusts and honey. Wild locusts. And honey, let's remember that. So, see, let's go to see. John prepared the way, but by his message and his action. John prepared the way by his message and his action. And John's very his very message was was what we, we started off in in Matthew three. Is one of our first sermon one of the first sermons about this. He what was his message? He said, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." Right? You need to repent. And what was John doing? He was baptizing the people in regards to repentance. Now, when we talk about repentance and baptism, it was a very common practice to clean yourself, to cleanse yourself. And they're talking about the coming of the Lord, some great things about to happen. And what is John's response in Matthew chapter 3? He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. I baptize you that you might cleanse yourself. You're preparing for the one who is going to come, right? I baptize you for repentance, but the one who is coming is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry, to tie, untie, or touch. And this is what he says, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit in fire. Now, these are images, correct? These are images. What John is saying, I'm baptizing you for a sense of cleansing and preparing yourself for the one who's about to come. And what? He's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And what does fire do when we talk about we talk about gold or silver? Fire what? It refines it, right? If there is, if you have a, a silver coin, right? We all, all of us know what those are. I, I could have brought one out. And it says it's 99.9% real silver, right? But there's that 0.1% that could impurity, right? Still in it. So what you do when you talk about silver, they take the, 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 uh, the, gold, uh, the gold or the silver, and what would they do? They'd melt it. And then part of melting it, all the dross, all the garbage and impurities come to the top. And then you sift that off. Now, in the process, I'll let you know this, in the process of getting rid of some of the dross, there's still some of the silver and the gold that gets that gets left in there, right? But you're willing to take a little bit of a loss in order to what? To get the pure, the best, the most pure, because it's worth more, right? So I want you to understand this. John was saying, I've come to baptize you for the sake of repentance in preparation For the one who's going to purify and take away all your sin. All your iniquity. And get rid of all that dross. He was was saying this. The cleansing process, the preparing of the way that John was doing was necessary. That cleansing process is necessary for what's about to happen. John played a role, but John is not the way. John showed the way to the light, but he wasn't the light. In fact, when we look at Psalm 51, verses 1 through 12, it says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. I want you to hear this whole passage. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now, before we go on, I want you to understand that there are those who are in the faith who are Christians. Are some of them will say they're Reformed or believe they're Reformed. There are a lot of them are Reformed Baptists. And here's the thing. I'm not going to speak down about them, but I want you to understand this. Baptism or washing was not just a New Testament thing. But the meaning, the significance, and the identification is different. The Israelites, the Jews, were very used to this cleansing aspect. And as David speaks, or the writer here in the psalm speaks, he says, he says wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now this is not just talking about a physical washing, is it? No. But he goes on, he says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and your blameless and your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin, but my mother conceived me. Behold, you delight in the truth and in the inward being and you teach me wisdom. Okay, now here's it. here it is. He said, purge me with hyssop. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Now, well, hyssop, if y'all want to know this, hyssop was an abrasive type thing. It's kind of like, a lo- you know what a loofah is? You ever know what It's like a... It's a, an abrasive sponge that scrubs. And hyssop was kind of an abrasive thing to cleanse and take away some of the rough spots and to take away the calluses and the tough. So cleanse me with hyssop. And I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Jesus, the first part of this is simply, Jesus is the way. John was not the way, but Jesus is the way. And all that we see here points to the coming of the Lord. Secondly, Jesus is the only truth. If y'all remember, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Alright? So we're going to see this This as your main points tonight. Jesus is the only truth. I think it's. I think it's. It's interesting that in our theme passage, it, he talks about what. How shall I compare that generation, this generation before us? Right. It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang in the dirge and you didn't mourn. Okay, we'll, we'll go through this a little bit. But he talks about how how John came, and he didn't eat or dr- eat or drink. That means he, you know, he didn't eat the foods of the people, he didn't drink wine or alcohol, and they said he had a demon. Then Jesus comes eating and drinking, and what do they say? He says, Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, he's a glutton and a drunkard. There's something about this aspect, about truth and where truth comes from. See, obviously, A, obviously, there are objections to Jesus outside the church, Right? Obviously, there's going to be objections to Jesus outside the church, and I don't want to. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. So, so many people, it's kind of like if 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 the if the Republicans do something wrong, or or President Trump does something wrong, and you speak against it, and you say how evil or how sinful or unjust it is, then people go, "But those liberal Democrats on the left, they're horrible." And I'm like. We can assume that. We're not saying that the Democrats are better. We're not saying the Democrats are okay. We're not talking about liberality and things that we already know. There's a sense of depravity that's out there, but that does not excuse anyone's depravity. And so, when we come to this place, obviously there are objections for about uh, to Jesus outside the church. That's what that Romans one eighteen through twenty three. Just put it up there. That's what that principle, they're they, unrighteousness, they suppress the truth, right? I don't know what you just did. Need me to help you? You got it? Alright. We talk about that aspect. Though they knew God, they we know this aspect that they, no matter what, though they knew they, though they know God, they don't honor Him as God. Right? We understand that they exchange the glory of the Creator for, for images resembling man and, and, and creatures, right? Rather than worshiping the Creator. So here's the thing. Our starting, starting point always is this, apart from being in Christ Jesus, we can only choose not Jesus. When, when we look at people out in this world, when we look at the aspect of this, apart from us being in Christ Jesus, we can only, anyone can only choose not Jesus. That's part of the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. Therefore, apart from Christ, we will never choose truth according uh, to God and His word. We will always choose man and his own, quote-unquote, truth without a foundation. So I want us to understand this. There will always be objections to Jesus outside of the church regarding truth because... They have to start with man. They can't choose Jesus. They can't choose him as a standard. They can't use him as a standard because Jesus stands diametrically opposed to man who, who want because Jesus is God and man is not. And if they want to be the Lord of their own lives and the God of their own lives and they want to be the foundation and center of all truth for their lives, Jesus will have no rival. But here's the thing. Yet there still be... There are objections to to Jesus inside the church. I don't know if I should have put church in, in quotation marks or not. But I want us to think about this. There are objections to Jesus inside the church. It's expected there are objections outside the church. But there are objections to Jesus And in the process of doing the things they do, they actually do not see that they're objecting to the Jesus of the Bible. And we need to be careful that we don't fall in the same trap. But when I look at these verses in this theme passage, we need to understand that those who are often supposed to be holding the very truths of life are the ones who deny the truth. See, Jesus, when we hear it, see in this passage, He says, what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to the playmates. We played the flute for you, and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge, and you didn't mourn. In the moment when truth is presented, even to some who are in the church, even when it's presented and it's the scriptures of the Bible, people will deny the very truth that's there. So when it says we played a song for you, right, and instead of what would naturally be a response is to dance and have fun, it's kind of like uh, we were we had music popping up over at, at, at y'all you know, at the Caldwell's house, and 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 Luke can't help but move, right? All of a sudden he just started. The next thing I know he's dancing all over the place. He don't even know what he's doing. I don't think. All right, he's got he's, he's got moves like Jagger. Yeah, I mean he's got it all. And so he he's, he doesn't understand. But here's the aspect we. You know, if I turn on the music, and we're saying, "Listen, we're gonna have, we're gonna turn music on, we're gonna dance." You know, we're gonna dance when the music comes on, right? We're expecting it to happen, and then we turn the music on, and no one dances. It's like a, it's like someone said, like a junior high dance or something. No one knows what to do. But he said we played the flute, we put the music on, and and no one danced. Then then we sang a dirge, which is a type of morning song, and. People didn't mourn. They don't see the the truth in the moment of what it is. Or they refuse to. That's why he said, John came neither eating and drinking, and what did you do? You didn't say, well, that must be a special prophet or something. No, you say he had a demon. He said, then the Son of Man, Jesus talking about himself, says the Son of Man comes uh, eating and drinking. You call him a drunkard, a glutton, and a friend of sinners. The truth is, when truth is proclaimed, they not only don't recognize it, they always what? They always oppose truth. Because it's not a truth that fits into what they're wanting to do. In John chapter 5, I think this is, well, I'll say this is funny to me. John chapter 5, Jesus had pointed this out. He says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from men, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp. And you were willing to rejoice for a while in his life. You are willing to rejoice while he prepared the way for me to come, is what he's saying. Jesus is saying. But the testimony that I gave is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard for his form... You have never seen, no, he's bringing an indictment, a judgment against them. And you do not have, you do not have his word abiding in you. For you don't believe the one whom he has sent. Here it is. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they, these scriptures, that bear witness about Jesus, about me is what Jesus says. But yet you refuse, what? To come to me that you may have life. There's an objection that seems to happen even inside, to Jesus inside the church. Or what seems sometimes to be inside the local organized church. What happens is a, a different version, a different outlook. I can't tell you how many times I was told the reason why I speak against the Joel Osteens of the world and others like that is because I'm jealous that I don't have thousands, tens of thousands of people to preach in front of. Oh yeah, that was that's what I mentioned, right? That's what I always talk about, I wish we had more people, I wish we had tens of thousands of people sitting in my living room, right? That's what we talk about. That's what I'm jealous of. No. The reason why we speak these things is because when people come to us as if they have the truth, but yet deny the truth, they, they refuse to come to the one, but they instead come to another another. So listen to what John chapter two verses thirteen through twenty two. At the Passover, the Jews was at hand. Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple. He found those who were selling. Y'all remember this? They were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers were sitting there. They're in the temple, and they're selling sacrifice offerings. Y'all remember this? Remember what Jesus did? He said, "You know what, guys." Y'all are awesome. Y'all are capitalists. I think y'all are doing a great job here, selling and exchanging goods for people's sacrifice for their sins. That's awesome. No, what did he do? He made a whip. He turned over the money changers' table, so all their money went everywhere. By the way, by like little rats, like little rats skirmishing through the alleyways. They're they're trying to get all their money back, right? And what does he do? He makes a whip. Now I want you to understand this. Jesus didn't go find a whip. He took the time to make one. And then he applied it justly to the backsides or other sides of these people driving them out. He told them, he said, don't make my father's house a house of trade or a den of robbers. Now, unfortunately, there are those who are legalistic enough to think that you're not allowed to sell anything inside the church doors today. But that's not what he was talking about, was he? They were prostituting. They were perverting the grace of God. In God's grace prior to Christ dying for the sin, in God's grace, He gave them a system of sacrifice that they might atone for their sin temporarily, right? To acknowledge their sin and to atone for it. And instead of taking that seriously, what these people were doing was they were perverting the system and they were profiting from it. And they turned God's house, God's temple, God's way into a way of perverseness. So instead of taking your best spotted lamb from your herd and sacrificing it to God, to taking two choice birds and sacrificing them to God, instead of doing such a thing, what were they doing? They were taking subpar, sub, I mean useless or whatever was leftovers of other people's animals and saying, here's my best God, when it wasn't even theirs in the first place. See, all too often we make the local church the central focus of our faith. So a lot of times people do. We all, Often churches make it about their programs, their preachers, their music, and, and in doing so they prostitute the name of Jesus for a cheap imitation that they can sell to the masses to prop up their many kingdoms. What if churches preached the gospel and applied it to all of life and focused less on Getting out or getting out of this world is not our home. Escapism. What if they did that? Maybe their kingdoms, maybe their kingdoms would collapse. Maybe their churches would decrease in numbers. Maybe their finances would dwindle. But if they were to be faithful to the kingdom called Christ the kingdom of God would still grow and expand. And see, that's what it comes down to. Well, we wouldn't have our missions classes, or we wouldn't have our big church choir, or we wouldn't have this if we did this, and we wouldn't have that if we did this. So what? If the gospel of of Christ, the gospel of the kingdom, and, and the growth of the kingdom continues on, so what if we don't have large church buildings? So what? If we don't have massive programs? See, if the church keeps going down this path, it deserves the wrathful judgment of God. If the church keeps going down this path, it deserves the wrathful judgment of God. And I don't say this lightly. Okay? Okay? I mean, who in their right mind would pray that God would judge the church? Who in their right mind would pray that I be judged by God's wrath? You know, in the Psalms, there's a type of Psalms to be prayed. (laughs) And these aren't good, these aren't simple things. These are actually praying that God's judgment would come on people who are wicked and who desire wickedness and and they do it in the name of thinking they are righteous see if the church keeps going down this path it deserves the wrathful judgment of God he talks about it in our theme passage he said if if these cities had repented it'd be it's going to be better they heard the met they had heard the message it'd be better for them you know Sodom and Gomorrah was sinful. So, all we know is about Sodom, specifically. And there were all kinds of rampant wickedness, and all kinds of debauchery, sexual sin, evil things going on there. And if you remember, Abraham just talked God down, if there's just ten righteous people there, will you not destroy this city, right? Y'all remember that? He talks God down as if God didn't know how many righteous people were there in the first place, right? What happens? Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed by hellfire. Now, I'm going to say this to you. Jesus' own words were this. But I tell you, if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom... It would have remained to this day. If God had chosen to speak a message of repentance like Jesus had spoken to them, Sodom would have repented. And what he's doing is casting a judgment upon them. See, so I'm reminded in the book of Revelation, now I don't think this is some far off thing, I think this is to a literal church, to a literal pastor of that church in Laodicea. He says in Revelation chapter three verses fourteen through twenty-two. He says, I'm gonna go on and says, I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you. Now the word that's actually there is vomit you out of my mouth. For I say to you, I am you for you say. I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and eat with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to, to sit with me on my throne. Now I want you to understand, let's not focus on the latter part of this, but I want you to understand, the way men look at things, the way we are, we think we've got it all together. And many of our churches, and many churches, they have all kinds of little ministries. They have food pantries, and they have children's ministries, they have youth ministries, and they have adult and senior adult ministries, and they have choirs, and they they have missions organizations, and they, they give to all these programs, and they go, and they go, and they go, and they do, and do, and do. But when it comes down to it, It's not whether you're busy or not. It's not whether you're part of those things or not. What it comes down to is we could be as busy as we want for for the kingdom of the church, thinking it's the kingdom of heaven, and still miss the point and deserve the wrath of God. We could be meeting in a building somewhere right now. We could do a lot of things differently, but here's the thing: when God looks at our lives and looks at us as His people, I don't want Him to look at it and say, "I wish you were. I wish you were not. I wish you were cold or hot. I mean, either you be on fire for Me or completely cold for Me. But you're lukewarm. You act like you're hot when you're not." You act as if you've got everything you need, and what it is is that's the sense of humanism. You rely on man. We rely on our abilities to do things. And I've come to that place, and I'll say this over what if I've learned anything over the last uh, few weeks, the last months. And the one thing he keeps reiterating is, I cannot trust in my strength and my abilities. I have to rely on him completely, because as able as I am to do things, if He does not provide the opportunity for me to do those things, I have no work. If I base my value and I base my purpose on my ability to do things and God does not provide me the opportunity to do those things, I lose my value because I'm basing it on myself. Basing it on my business or my abilities. But the thing is, is he says, come to me. Come to me and buy from me. Come to me and settle with me. I'll give you riches. I'll give you the richness that you need. I will clothe you in the way you need to be clothed. But you need to come to me. Not look to yourselves. Santo- <Zusammen> <riding swat> <Über hal cricket> <John> <him> Lastly, Jesus is the only life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only life. In our theme passage, what it comes down to, you leave that up there for a second, Grace. life. I think we all spell life. L-I-F-E, okay. Now a theme passage, he comes to this place and he says, Come to me all who are weary. Come to me all who labor labor and heavy burden, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm reminded, although I don't have it here, Jesus said that the the enemy is like a roaring lion seeking whom may devour, but I've come to life, I've come to bring life and abundant life to you. Jesus is the only way to life. Now Jesus never said that we are not going to have burdens. We ought to be burdened as Jesus was burdened. We ought to have a place where we come to rest in Him. If y'all remember that word meek that I keep describing, I've said it's harnessed to the will of God. A great picture of being harnessed to the will of God is to understand what a horse is. And a horse is not just harnessed, but what is? he has a bit in his mouth, correct? You know what a bit is? It's a thing that goes in. And what it is, it helps correct them. And so as they lightly, you don't apply pressure. Um, There's a a couple that was at our church before they moved away, John and Dana. And John, I remember, I really didn't have a lot of opportunities as a kid and never rode horses, okay? But John, one of the things he told me is when you're riding a horse and you want to turn the horse, you don't pull on the rein. For when you're riding, you should only have to ride with one hand with the reins and if you pull on the rein the pulling of the rein is to stop the animal it's not to make them go or turn all you had to do because they had the bit in their mouth and the more that they're trained the smaller the bit because they respond to their training and all it was is when you needed to make the horse turn all you did is lay the rein over on one side of the neck or the other just the pressure light pressure of the rain sitting on the neck of the horse knew which direction to turn knew that in the lightest of th- just simple things slow down just was just to barely pull in the rein. if you needed to stop you don't want to pull back too hard because what does it do it makes them rear up but here's the thing this is that aspect he says take my yoke which is a a form that they would they would take and uh you put a yoke upon you now single yoke that's all well and good, but the reality is they put a yoke upon multiple oxen, multiple animals, so that they would both bear the load, right? And that they would not bear it alone, but they would bear it with others, and they would walk along doing the work together. Jesus didn't say we wouldn't have a yoke upon us. He said, He said, my, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And with Jesus at the reins and us harnessed in our meekness, harnessed to His will, we find life. and We find abundant life. We find fulfillment and purpose. <clears throat> Here's the last point that for us tonight on that letter A. It is not until we fully yield our lives that we truly live in Christ. It's not until we fully yield ourselves. We can say I, I I am a follower of Christ. I love Christ. I love Jesus. I follow him. I want to obey him. I want to do this. And we cannot fully do that until we fully yield to him. When we understand that we fully submit to the to his yoke, And whatever burden he places on us, know that he's at the helm to lead us through it. We're not on our own. And he doesn't leave us by ourselves. He's not just placing a yoke upon one of us. He places that same yoke upon his people that we together are able to fulfill it. That passage that keeps coming back up is in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 27. He said, if anyone would come after me, what? He has to deny himself, die to himself, and take up his cross. What good is it, what profit does it profit a man to gain everything in this world that forfeit his soul? I tell you, he he tells us that whoever loses his life for for his sake will find it. It comes to this place that it's not just merely Trying to word this s- as simple as possible. The reason we need the real Jesus to step forward is we need to stop using false alternatives, other alternatives. We need to stop using imitations. There are a lot of imitations out there, and there are a lot of people who do things that look righteous and look holy and look good. You know what? We could go every Saturday and stand in the middle of the Sweeney Texas or wherever Houston, Texas at one park and we could read the Bible aloud to people. There's nothing wrong with reading the Bible and there's nothing wrong with it, but as we've learned to do things before men so they see us and it's wrong. We can go and we can go to places and we can preach to them and agitate and aggravate and be jerks for Jesus. And guess what? It's just emptiness. We can come to church every Sunday here. We can gather together every Sunday and make no difference for the kingdom. But until we each fully yield our lives to Him, that's when we truly live for Him. See, most of what we do is we look, even this week, we're thinking about what we're going to do when we get home. We're going to think about what we get to do this week and the little adventures we have and the games we play and the little things that we look forward to. But the reality is, is we don't think about what Jesus wants us to do for the rest of the week. We don't look for opportunities. Now I'll tell you something about looking for opportunities to be used by Christ. I've been burned by people because of it. Not physically lit on fire, but I'm saying... I've I've been hurt. I've had loss. But still, I'm going to do what's right. I'm still going to do what honors God and honors Christ. And there's nothing that I've faced that has been worse than what Jesus faced for my sin. We have to go into this week not thinking about, hey, when are we going to get to see each other again? Not just that. Well, Jesus, what are you going to do in me? How are you going to use me? What are opportunities I can serve my brother and sisters? My brothers and sisters, how can I be used of you and my family? Rather than how can my family serve me? When I get opportunities to go out in public, how can I serve others and how can I be used for Christ to them? How can I share the gospel, the good news of Jesus with others in such a way the opportunity presents it? We have to think through. We got to be prepared to be used of Him rather than to be served. Jesus is the only way. He is the only truth, and He is the only life. and And if we don't pattern pattern everything we do by that and sustained by that, we will find that we do nothing in Jesus, and the real Jesus will never be seen. The narrow Jesus. We'll never step forward in front of others because the real Jesus will not be alive in us. He is not the Lord of us at that point. And that would bring me to question at the end of this. If Jesus, if we're not doing that, the question is, is Jesus even the Lord at all of our lives? If He is, we need to make sure He is. We need to make sure we're living according to that. Beyond that, let's pray. don't about going on too much longer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity once again to come before you. Lord, thank you for those who have joined us here and those who join us online, those who will see this message. And Lord God, I pray that you use it for your glory. Where we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks.